0: Today's tip comes from my old co-worker and pal, Greg Jarbo, and he talks about how to figure out how shorts and other social videos really work. He says, who, what, why, where, when, and how are still considered by journalists to be the right questions to ask when gathering information for a news story. And marketers can use them too to put together an early examination of some of the short catchy videos created with YouTube shorts and other social video. Welcome to Inside the Creator Economy on Fireside. I'm Jim Lauderback, and I'm glad to have you here.
1: And I'm Cassie Roma. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world.
0: Absolutely. How are you doing, Cassie?
1: I am a box of fluffy ducks yet again, Jim. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm good. You know what you need is a reaction that shows off a box of fluffy ducks. (laughs) I will work on that. What I mean is on Fireside, I don't know if you can look down, but I actually added a reaction to myself for today's show, which is me happy face with dollar signs. I'm not sure why that spoke to me, but that's what I put in there.
1: <laughs> I see, I one of those. Think there's a sad face one. I see a robot. I see a cussing one. I see a, a poo emoji. I'll find a duck. Don't you worry.
0: Well, I made you moderator for this. I don't know what that means, but it may be that when people want to come on stage, you let them on, not me. So anyway, keep that in mind. And for those of you who are listening after we recorded this, we are recording this on Fireside, which allows us to make it interactive if people want to get up and chat with us, which is, I think, why Cassie is now a moderator. So anyway, we're going to jump right into it. Our first story, and I think it's because we're recording this on Sunday rather than Monday, so I was kind of less about news and more just about things that caught my eye and I thought were really kind of interesting, but this particular one is kind of about life, imitating art, imitating life. A few months ago, I write this newsletter called Inside the Creator Economy, too. If you're on LinkedIn, you can subscribe to it if you want. Look for me. My tag is Louderby, I think, there. But anyway, a few months ago in my newsletter, I, I introduced all the readers to this really wholesome TikTok beekeeper called At Texas Bee Works, you know, takes care of bees and moves bees from one place to another and does things with bees that I would never even want to do. It's a little creepy, but really kind of fun to watch. But suddenly, she's now embroiled in a beekeeper battle with At LA Honey Bee Rescue, who calls this Texas-based beekeeper foul fake and dangerous and calls her out and says it's her husband who does all the hard work and she's not wearing the proper clothing and she's just doing it wrong and this is going you know, to we have seen these creator influencer spats over and over again but you know i don't know i think about them kind of more in the beauty space rather than in the beekeeping space i actually don't know a lot of other creators in the beekeeping space now it would just be another one of those stories that we could talk about and sort of poke a little bit and move on except There is a strange parallel going on in entirely different media. The whole thing actually has been foreshadowed, believe it or not, by 60-year-old newspaper comic strip Mark Trail, originally created by Ed Dodd, and I actually happen to be a fan of comic strips. I've got a couple of original Ed Dodds on the wall up there behind me. But since March, in Mark Trail has been a, quote, big buck battle between Mark and viral video influencers bic Bach instead of TikTok, get it? A bic Bach battle between Mark and Professor B-Sharp, Killer B, Cricket Bro, and eco-rapper Reptilian Air. It's been playing out in newspapers everywhere. I read it in the Washington Post every day. I don't know, maybe it's just a coincidence, or maybe something weird is going on. And actually what's happening today and tomorrow, Mark is boxing B-Sharp in a boxing match, <laughs> which I assume is being live streamed to bic bock, <laughs> So maybe there's a sinister plot going on here. I'm not sure, but it's just too weird to ignore. I don't know. Maybe Cassie, I've gone off the deep end.
1: I like the deep end. It's a great place to, to tread water of anywhere. This is hilarious because it goes into like these very deep fandoms and subplots. And I love that you made the connections between all of this. <laughs> because it makes me feel like your brain and my brain, we really are meant to be friends. I don't know if it's sinister. I think we could spin it that way. But I love the weirdness. I love that all of these different people are kind of taking the moment we're in and taking, I don't know, the kind of meta trends and the zeitgeist of the moment and making it their own for their own, you know, kind of little meta narrative. I I think it's kind of cute and exciting.
0: Yeah. And it also goes to show this sort of minuscule little communities that grow up of people who do things that, you know, I have not really thought about beekeepers in my life. Although a friend of mine just recently relocated a hive at his house. Beekeepers are not forefront. But when I ran across the Texas BeeWorks channel, I was like, this is really cool. It's wholesome. It's fun. It's got bees that I don't want to go anywhere near. But now I've realized there's more than one and, and that they're actually jealous of each other. And I just... I'm not really drawing a good conclusion here, but it it just talks about sort of the narrow aspects of TikTok and other social video platforms and how even on something as wholesome as beekeeping, there can be jealousies and there can be petty and there can be all sorts of controversy that can pop up when all you're trying to do is save the poor little bees so they keep pollinating flowers so we can keep on living on this planet. Am I making too much out of this?
1: Well, I think it's a good leaping off point and we could have so many different conversations around it. What it makes me think about, Jim, actually is, and I know we've talked about this in the past, is I spent a bit of time as the chair of the Auckland Pride Board. And when I went into it, because I was still, you know, slightly new to the community, I thought, great, we're all this big rainbow family. And the second I sat down at the table with all of these different people who identified in different ways, and were quite intersectional in their lives, it's like there were small groups of very strong communities that had all of these kind of weird interwoven dynamics into how their relationships worked. And whether it's Texas beekeepers who like they take you from like sweet as honey to like a little bit sour to like actual political movements or um, non for profits and all that kind of stuff. It can be a place where humanity, you can see the best and the worst of it. So I think you're onto something here. And this one's quite cute.
0: (laughs) It is cute, but all I can say is if Jake Paul and whoever he boxes with next show up in the ring in beekeeper outfits, that's it. There is absolutely something going on here.
1: (laughs) Sinister AF.
0: Exactly. All right, well, that's enough of those beekeepers. Cassie, let's move on to your story today. What do you got?
1: Right, my story comes from TubeFilter and it's it's around the creators. So creators aren't just the foundation of social media. Their participation is a requirement for platform success. We know that, right? For example, 82% of YouTube views are earned from videos published by creators, not brands or media companies or anybody creating and pushing money behind it. This demonstrates how critical it is for platforms to attract new creators and encourage the community to continue to producing content. And this makes a relationship sustainable for individuals. And to do that, platforms must find ways to compensate creators for their hard work, especially because most creators are full time. Now, the crux of this that really made me kind of sit up and think about it was that this was a conversation with a fellow called Ricky Ray Butler. Now, I love that name, Ricky Ray Butler. Just if you say that with a Southern accent, that is the sweetest little name, Ricky Ray Butler. He's the CEO of influencer marketing company, Ben, B-E-N. And he really dove into some of the conversations we've been having around the change and the creator economy and how it's changed in the last few years. And what I found was really interesting was from a marketing perspective, they definitely talked about how brands and media corporations can work alongside creators. But the heart and the soul and the crux of this, it's quite a long interview um, with Tube Filter, was that it's the creators that really need the love, that need The incentive to keep coming back to these platforms and what this actually made me do was think more in depth about different kinds of platforms so like we are here on fireside or if we think about the rise of other voice apps or things that are coming and going it's quite a nuanced i guess place to live and to breathe so if platforms are going to succeed at scale What I took out of this was that it's creators they need to woo more than anything else and the communities that those creators bring along with them.
0: Yeah, you know, I really like this piece. Ricky Ray is a a buddy of mine. He's on our advisory board for VidCon. I've known him for a long time. He was at uh, Plaid Social. That was his company, which he then sold to Corvus, which means he essentially works for Bill Gates. And he is actually from Utah, not the South, but just so you know. But he, um, super smart, B-E-N stands for Branded Entertainment Network. I love what Ricky's doing. And, and by the way, when I saw that you highlighted the story, I was like, oh, man, can I get Ricky on today? And, and then I was like, no, there's no way I'm going to be able to get him on today. But we'll have Ricky drop by the show in the next few weeks because I've done his podcast before and he's just a great guy. We talk every few weeks. The thing that I took away from this, though, and I agree with everything you said, creators need to be first. Creators need to make money platforms need to figure out how they can incent them to do that is I wonder if the whole idea of creator marketing and creators chilling for brands and creators talking for brands and being the mouthpiece for brands isn't actually changing. And this is what I'd like to talk to Ricky about, where less and less are creators doing things for other brands, and putting themselves out there to grow other brands. And more and more, they're doing it themselves. And I think this is a reaction a little bit to the fact that the platforms, although good and do provide monetization options, don't do it for everybody. And, you know, think about the beekeepers we were talking about before. Yeah, they might be able to get a honey company or maybe somebody who makes beekeeper protection gear to sponsor them. They may be better building their own brands. And so I think whether it's, you know, Texas Beekeeper or the LA Beekeeper, their own line of honey might actually be a better way for them to make money rather than just working and chilling for other brands. So I wonder how much of this is right now and how much of this is fading away and was right two or three years ago.
1: Yeah, I agree with you completely on all of that. And I think it's leading to where you were talking about. It's the ownership of your own personal brand. It's being able to move to take these communities with you when you go. And I mean, it's, it always made me giggle a little bit back in the, the earlier days, Jim, when you and I first met through VidCon. So what's that five, six years ago when creators would say my community, my people, and I would be like, wow, they're not yours. Like my first gut instinct was those aren't your humans. But then as I've started to watch and to listen, it's the folks who really go, I am a part of leading a conversation or I'm a part of you know, leading a community and it could be a micro beekeeper community or it could be a bigger conversationalist piece around culture. But I think they're right. And I think you're right. And I love what part of this article says. And it says, you know, when we're talking about monetizing and brand sponsorships and that kind of old school look that, you know, kind of happened with TV and radio and all that kind of stuff, the monetization tactics for the platforms for the creators right now, what Ben says is that, or uh, what he says is they are additive, not disruptive. So I think you're right right on this because something's got to give. And I think that something is that the creators are learning ways to monetize their own lives and livelihoods through being really authentic to who they are and adding value to people along the way.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And I think I keep on flashing back. And I think we talked about this last week or the week before what Rex Woodbury had to say when he was talking about the move from Web 2.0 to Web 3.0, is that Web 2.0 is about platforms and Web 3.0 is about the direct connection between commerce and creators. I'm paraphrasing this and I'm probably not doing a good job, but really there is this transition going on where you were beholden to the platforms before and now it's about if you have that connection with an audience and they're your fans and they're your community and you sit at the center of it, but the community connects with each other also, you have this great potential to drive connections and commerce because of what you've got and what you've built, and it doesn't require an intermediary, whether it's a platform or something else.
1: That's right. I think what that does is it takes away maybe the shiny magpie aspect of the newness that was social media and digital platforms, and it takes us right back to true humanity and community building and connecting. If you connect with somebody and say, you know, for instance, my strongest presence from a social media perspective is on LinkedIn right now. But if LinkedIn were to stop tomorrow, I can guarantee you that the folks and the friends and the connections I've made there over the last eight years or so we would still find each other in another place because we talk and we banter and we agree and we have robust conversation. And in the end, we are connected as humans and platform becomes irrelevant at that point.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you know what's interesting? You bring up LinkedIn. I don't know if they still do this, but LinkedIn, as far as I know, is the only platform that actually let you download the email addresses or the connections to your community and take them somewhere else. They used to do it. I'm not sure if that's still a thing they do anymore. Do you know?
1: I am not certain. For some reason, there's a tickle in the back of my brain that said they'd stop doing that unless you are subscribing as a LinkedIn premium customer. But I think if you're premium, you still can.
0: Might be worth that uh, monthly fee just to do it. But yeah, I agree on that one. The other interesting thing, I think, and I want to just, I'm going to go on a tangent here just because we can, (laughs) Um, because, because, because I was reading LinkedIn earlier today and Phil Ranta, who tends to write some interesting things on LinkedIn, was talking about the crash of Bitcoin, the crash of crypto, the crash of NFTs, which you probably have seen out there, and said, now's the time to actually build businesses. This is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And I agree with that. I think what we're seeing, again, is that we're going to see a lot of these little shiny spikes, and things are going to go really up and be like, oh, everyone's going to get excited about it, and then it's going to crash down, and everybody's going to say, oh, that's never going to happen. But what, what we see in the technology world and in the creator world is that it spikes because everybody gets excited, but it doesn't go away when it crashes. It allows you to actually build something big and sustainable. So I do think that creator marketing and influencer marketing and creator shilling for brands is not going to go away, but is part of the part of the mix of a creator's income and creators really need to think about their revenue mix. They need to think about their income mix. They need to think about how they manage their time and picking the right things at the right time so that they can drive and maximize their revenue potential. But that revenue mix will be less and less from platforms, less and less from brands, and more and more of those direct connections to the audience.
1: I agree completely.
0: And you know what? That uh, leads us right into sort of our big topic of the week. So today's big topic, and I, I'm going to kick this one off, but we're going to jump right into it. it it's not geared towards a story specifically that came out over the past week or so. But it's something that I was reading. I can't even remember who had this in one of their stories. And they said, BYOC, bring your own community. And that's kind of the new trend that we're seeing across the board. And I thought about it, and I hadn't heard anybody say it that way before, but it's true. Everything from Discord to various other platforms that we've been talking about, really about owning your community and bring your own community. And I actually, I went up and did a a Google search because I was trying to remember who wrote about it. And I put in, as you can in Google, BYOC. And then after that, I opened (laughs) quotations and said, bring your own community and close quotations. And there were only 10 results and none of them were the ones that I was looking for. I'll get back to that in a minute because one of the results I thought was particularly interesting. But there was a little micro trend that happened also, say a micro thing. That's not going to mean that much to that many people, but Cassie, you'll know one of the folks at Instagram that has been a huge supporter of VidCon and has helped us through a lot of things and has really been for all of the platforms the person that could get on stage and was the most open and the most connecting and he would do Q&As at VidCon around the world and, and if he couldn't answer something he wouldn't but he was very open very helpful and and I love that openness and he really made Instagram an open platform for all of the people who went to VidCon and connected with him on creator and industry tracks so Jackson Williams is his name Although he always used to call him Jackson Galaxy. And he said, yeah, you know, I've been called that before. I work with dogs and cats. (laughs) Cats, I think Jackson Galaxy does. But uh, anyway, he left Instagram in the last week or two and just joined Stir, which is very much of a sort of new world Web3 style creator first company at this point designed to help monetization and the back catalog and helping them with all the details of what they need to build what we've just been talking about in our last segment about how you maximize your revenue across all these different areas and how you manage that and think about that. But I just thought it was interesting that this really, for many creators, the face of Instagram left the big mothership now to go over to Stir. What do you think about all this, Cassie?
1: I think it's a good move for Jackson. I think it's a good move probably for the industry to, especially when we concentrate on the bring your own community the fact that the first thing you led with was that when Jackson would go all around the world and speak to VidCon and the audiences and that kind of thing, what he did was he opened it up. Which means he built a trusting relationship through himself that kind of flowed through to this big brand that could be seen as something maybe faceless and and not quote unquote human. He humanized, he added emotion, he added relevance to something that we all have been excited about for years and years. And he kind of, you know, popped the hood and let us have a look at the engine. I think him moving over to somewhere new, maybe to somewhere that a lot of folks hadn't heard about. I hadn't heard about Stir until you told me, Jim, and, and had a good look through. I think it's a fantastic thing for humans to do to follow their bliss and to follow their passion and to help build other foundations that are coming and evolving. And Jackson brings that community with him because what he did is he instilled trust in himself to be an open human. You said if he didn't know the answer to a question, he didn't just bullshit it. And I think folks like that will always rise to the top because people know that they can trust them wherever they go.
0: Yeah. And trust is so important as a creator, if you're going to build those connections with your community and ultimately thrive on both sides of the equation. Absolutely. I haven't thought about it that way, but you're right. Jackson built a community around himself. It reminds me of something that happened, I don't know, 20 years ago when Robert Scoble, who I've known for a long time and was at Microsoft and one was one of the early people on the internet talking about Microsoft in forums and other things and in some ways became one of the most important mouthpieces at Microsoft, even though he wasn't in comms, he wasn't in marketing, he wasn't official. But, you know, and and Robert went on to do a bunch of interesting things and some not so good, but he really did encapsulate that Web 1.0 world for Microsoft in a way that Jackson, I think, did a really good job in the Web 2.0 world for Instagram. And I just wonder I know Jackson didn't have as big of a presence as Robert did overall, but for creators, I think he's very trusted and it'll be interesting to see how that translates into what STIR does.
1: Yeah. And I think that's really, it's a strong way of looking at the narrative of personal brand and how it sits alongside a, say a corporate brand. I know from my own experience over the last 20 years, especially as social media and the creator economy started. And especially because New Zealand, where I've been, has been such a small space is that I've always come up against folks within the corporate world who go, if we build someone's personal brand, does that not mean if they leave, it detracts from our brand? And my retort, my response to that was always, well, you could look at it that way, or you could flip the narrative and go, actually, if you've got somebody like a Jackson working for you and they're happy and they're truly promoting and advocating for the brand, even if he steps away from Insta and goes to stir, Insta still gets that beautiful glow of trustworthiness and of inherent believability because you you allowed this person to have a voice and to create a community i know in new zealand for the last 20 years you know i've worked at probably 10 different big corporates but at every corporate i've been to my reputation as somebody who works within kind of the cutting edge of social and communities and creators has has preceded me and each business has gotten just as much off of my reputation and skill set as i did off of them So I think that this bring your own community is so very, very important because what it also opens up, Jim, is this idea of, you know, being able to leverage secondary and tertiary networks of friends and colleagues and cohorts in the industry that then gets other creators, whether they're smaller creators or or creators in different fields, to know who you are and to start trusting your brand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, this is nothing against Instagram. I mean, Instagram's done a great job and will continue to do so. With Jackson not there as well as out there it just it's interesting to see how that develops, and it, and it brings me back to that as you said, bring your own community topic that we started with. One of those ten Google search results was a presentation from a Taiwanese company, mostly in, in Chinese, or I don't know, I couldn't tell what language it was because the characters are not something that I'm familiar with, but you know what I mean. A company called Wistron, and Wistron's a contract manufacturing company. They basically build things behind the scenes. For other companies that are in front of the scene, say, like, you know, they'll build your smartwatch, they'll build your, community, your networking router, they'll build your microphone, other sort of products that you would then put your name on. You tell them what to build, they'd build it, and you put your name on it and everything would be great. Well, that contract manufacturing is kind of similar to what we're talking about in Bring Your Own Community, where you as a creator are manufacturing things and companies like Stir and others will be there to support you and to do the things that you don't do well, and but allow you to own the connection with your community. That's a good thing, but it's also something that creators that want to thrive need to get good at the core things that are important, Mm -hmm. like community management, right? I'm going to throw this at you, and I know you're going to respond to it well, but think about community management as the marketing funnel, right? And how Mm -hmm. your community comes from people who don't know about you. Yes, thank you for applauding whoever applauded there. People who don't know about you, thank you for applauding again. Those are people on Fireside, by the way. For those of you who aren't listening on Fireside, you can react to things like that, which is awesome. Just when I hear it, I have to shut up, which I'm still not doing yet, but I will. But that marketing funnel of people who don't know who you are, and then they sample you, and then they get to know you, and then they go down to like, they love you so much, they actually buy something or do something or empower it or, or promote you. So I think that community management is a skill that you can't outsource.
1: Oh, that's so true. I'm sitting here in my kitchen just nodding like a crazy woman because you're right, it's that pyramid of brand, right? At the very top, people they don't know you and then they kind of like, "Oh, yeah, I'm aware of your brand." And then they're like, "Oh, I like it." And then they're like, "I love it." And then they finally get to that, "Oh, I live it." And to get to that I live it, I live for the brand, I live for the creator, I live for these interactions. You're spot on, Jim, and I truly believe if we're going to talk about bring your own community, the idea of community management and community engagement is so important. Every large corporate I've ever worked at, especially at the beginning of social media and even before social media was a place where you could pay to play on the platforms, community management and continuity of care was the number one aspect of every single strategy I introduced if you didn't have good community management or customer service or customer care, so that every time you knew that Cassie or Jim was going to help you with something, then we were playing on a playing field that was going to be muddy and slippery instead of like nice and firm footing. And, you know, community management, it sounds a little bit, you know, not as personal as it should be, but I feel like that's the heart of everything. That's where you banter. That's where when people are going through a hard time, you say, let me help you. I'm sorry you had a hard time. One of the most unused or least used statements that I've seen brands use over the years are those two words, I'm sorry. You know, it is so hard for a brand to say, I'm sorry, because then they think that it might reflect badly on a brand. But at all of the places I've worked from a community perspective, if you can empathize with humans, then building that community and building those trust bonds, it's just Hyper focused.
0: Well, and the other word is love. And yes. I used to tell this to the creators, you know, early in the days when we were moving from TV to the to internet video, I would say, Look, we're about building love and we're about building a love and a connection. It's like, and for a company to be able to say, Love is important and we want people to love us and we want to love them back is a big step. I remember when we sold revision three to Discovery and I was like, We're all about taking people and loving our creators and building love between them and their communities. And people at Discovery are like, What? But it's true. And then the, the other thing I think that's fascinating about this is you need to be able to create those connections. And I I would take the creators, the people we put in front of the camera, the people doing it, and you know some of these TV people, I said, okay, you just made a show. Great. You just posted it on YouTube or posted it somewhere else. Your day's not half over because you now need to go spend the second half of your day in the forums, in there building connections with people. And I'd get these producers who grew up in TV and were like, wait, I'm ready to go have a drink. And I'm like, no, you're not. I mean, you can drink while you're in the community and you're in the, you know, posting there, but not to excess like you used to when you were in television.
1: (laughs) I'm with you on that. It's, it's funny. You can tell the folks who are genuinely empathetic people who love community and who love connecting with others because it's not a hard ask to get them to put their, I don't know, their post on Instagram or to do their live stream or to put their YouTube video up and have them waiting there in the comments and bantering back. You know, that's always been, there's a fellow called Scott Eddy, who has been doing travel content for years. And I met Scott down here when he was working with us at Air New Zealand. And he's got millions of followers across all of his channels. And I remember having a drink with Scott one evening, and he was on his phone the whole time. And I was like, "Bro, come off your phone. And I had him for five minutes. And he was like, you know, I answer every single response. I don't just like it. I respond on Twitter. I respond on Instagram. And he said, it's really tiring. But he learned to love some of, you know, those super fans, the regulars who keep coming back. And he said, but if one person jumps on once, he's still going to respond to them. And, you know, I think at scale, that's a hard thing to do. But I think just that fundamentally, that's what he did. I looked at that and went, yeah, you get it. You definitely get it.
0: Speaking of community here on Fireside, we have the ability to invite some of our community up to comment and join us in the discussion. Somebody wants to come up, put your hand up and uh, we'll, we'll bring you into the discussion. While we uh, ponder that, I want to do one last topic here that came to mind. And this, something we talked about last week or the week before, the new startup fave that allows super fans to monetize the relationship that they have with creators as well. And I kind of was wondering about that a little bit, but now I really get it because in the end, managing and enabling superfans to share in the value created between creators and the community. Is actually a positive thing, so to me, that's a plus. And I would like to introduce my friend Paul Colligan to join us. Paul, how are you? What's going on?
2: Oh man, I'm I'm just watching some fireside action here, <laughs> or I guess listening to some <laughs> fireside action.
0: Uh, yeah, actually, you can watch it because I'm looking at the screen, looking at all the, the well, happy true. people. But yeah, so so what do you think about all this, Paul?
2: Well, th- this is fun. This is this is I'm going to have to be part of this on a somewhat regular schedule, allowing business, but here's the issue, the, the scale to this, you know, when you get to the point when you can't react anymore to everyone, what do you do then? Or do you just peak? Is, is, does every creator just have their 2000 true fans or how do we do this? You know, cause some who say proudly, I respond to everybody, but they don't.
0: Well, it's, know? it's funny there. Are, it's a really good point because in the end, this is where things I think like fave that can allow superfans to exactly. help management, it's also bringing on your top fans on your Discord server. And I've been talking to the, the people, some of the, the Discord servers that are great, I've been reaching out to people I know there. I'm like, how are you building this? And they talk about, you know, enabling their fans to build it and supporting them for that as well. So there's that. The way, and I gotta say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out another startup that's interesting called Community. It was started by some companies and Ashton Kutcher is in Ashton Kutcher's and it basically is text messaging, but allows you to respond in text message to multiple people as if you were having a one-on-one connection. And I, I'm of two minds about that. Part of me says, well, that's really interesting and that's a problem for Ashton Kutcher and it's nice to solve it. Other people can take advantage of it. The other is it feels a little fake because if like he's saying exactly. happy birthday to you, but he's really saying exactly. happy birthday to everybody who has the same birthday. I don't know. Cassie, what do you think about that? Is that a, bit, a little bit disingenuous?
1: I think it is. And you know, I really like the thing where you can tell when a creator or an artist or somebody is actually responding to you. I think Paul, you're spot on with, there comes a point in time where if you say you respond to everybody and it is very obvious that you do not, and you cannot, then that's, that's disingenuous. And I think it also,
2: well, and it's, where's the disingenuous. It's like, it's painful to the entire process and the entire promise. You know, if one guy or gal is promising the world and isn't delivering it, does that make the platform look bad? Does that make the opportunity look bad? You know, when the guy with a million followers says, I'll follow, you know, I'll respond to everything. And then when the guy with a hundred who actually can says it, you know, are they seen in the same way? So, I mean, there's the higher level, but there's also just the logistical level of it. I mean, what damage does it do?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, and I look at it anyways, when I see folks with these large followerships, and I think it's just, it's even more of um, an exciting little dopamine rush, isn't it? If you have somebody like, I don't know, a Glennon Doyle, who she responds to at the moment that she's on. And maybe you get one tweet like in your whole life and that just fizzes you up for weeks because (laughs) you know that she doesn't do that. I think that's an even more exciting thing. I think most people online are savvy enough now to know exactly what you're saying, Paul, that it is, I don't know if it would destroy the platform or look bad on the platform, but it would definitely look bad on the person who you know has (laughs) somebody running their Instagram or their Twitter for them.
0: Those of you who don't know Paul, by the way, I should have introduced him properly. Paul is one of the smartest people in the podcasting world. He consults. He's got a great podcast of his own about the business of podcasting called The Podcast Report. He actually used to run an event called the New Media Expo, Podcast New Media Expo, which I remember falling into and speaking out in the early days of Revision 3. He's brilliant in this. I'm so glad you popped up. What do you tell your clients about engaging with their audience and how to do it?
2: We tell our clients to be absolutely honest in the process. If you can't respond to everyone in mass, don't pretend that you are. And, and if anything, there's going to be a bit of a jealousy. You know, if we're in a, we're in senior season right now, my youngest is graduating from high school. So it's that careful time where, okay, we're going to be at so-and-so's party at one, and then we're going to be at so-and-so's party at two 30, you know, and that kind of thing, because you got to make the appearance everywhere, either make the appearance everywhere or make the appearance nowhere is kind of the situation, because if you don't show up to Frank's party, you know, but you do show up to Linda's party, you know, you're saying something really mean to Frank and not Linda in this kind of circumstance. So we tell people if it can't be you, and it probably, let's be honest, in many cases shouldn't be you, let them know that it's somebody from the community. You know, and, and the super fan management thing is, is an exciting model in some places. You know, Gary Vee does a good job at this. You know, all the people who want to be Gary you know, we'll respond, you know, in fact of Gary, but for business leaders and whatnot, that's really hard to do. And it's really hard to scale and it's really hard to outsource. And that's the big question. So when you went there, I'm, I'm going there with you, but I think it's a bigger issue than that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I do think it's hard, but I do think you have to make the effort and do it. And, Yo, yeah. you know, and do you wait, call wait. out certain people? I oh, don't know. Go ahead. Sorry, Paul.
2: Yeah, you, you have to make the effort. and but, but the effort has to be, it has to be something more than, well, I tried. You know, um, it has to be. You, you know, maybe it's a a full disclosure report of of those that you missed or something like that. But I, I mean, in building a community, if I mean, I mean, if I promise you, anytime you text me, I'm going to respond to you. You text me and I don't respond to you. You know, that's a community destroyer. You know, that's mm, you know, yeah. and then the word the the word gets out and it goes from there. So. I think you got to try. I think you got to attempt, but you got to be honest with the audience and you have, you have to be willing to go there and speak to the realities of what you're dealing with.
1: Yeah, I think that's super important. And that might be as as simple as too when kind of building communities and building out community guidelines is being open and honest with, Hey, sometimes I'll jump in, but other times I won't. I know I've been thinking a lot lately about visibility doesn't equal accessibility because as a real small fish and a smaller pond here, it's been really easy for me to respond to things. Recently, I've been on a TV show and let me tell you, it is a time suck for me now to go back to every single person that wants to message me, send things and comment and you know, putting aside two hours of my day every day to respond. I feel like I can do it now, but sometimes too, I don't have two hours. So I've been really honest with folks and just been, Hey, this is what I can give today. And, and when then, it gets to 10, song,
2: you know, and when yeah. it gets to 10, what do you do when it gets to 20? What do you do? You know, I, I think, a right. and, I think a pen and teller, you know, they will meet, they will stay longer than their show to meet all their fans after the show. But as a result, they don't do as many shows as they used to, because that time spent with the audience is so massive. They have to scale that and they have to bring that into the thing. And, you know, but everybody knows that if they can get tickets to Penn & Teller, they can meet Penn & Teller. You know, man, if I flew to Vegas and got my tickets to Penn & Teller and then, you know, oh, yeah, we can't do it tonight. It would be over.
0: Well, there are ways that and services and things you can do that move it to sort of a a more of a one to many, but it still feels somewhat intimate. So, for example, Discord AMAs, if you have a Discord community, you say, hey, community, I'm hanging out every Tuesday from nine to nine thirty stop by and i'm not going to get to everybody but we're going to have a conversation or exactly. cameo or chattelize or you know ways that you can connect with people i guess even only fans is definitely one way to do it if you want to but there are those things out there yeah exactly and just be honest about it be strategic about it
2: you know full disclosure about it and then you know do the best you can
1: yeah hey paul definitely
0: when we end this segment we didn't, we move into some quick news hits where we take four stories four news stories Cassie introduced it, I introduce it. And when we invite guests up, if they want to, we'd love to have them stick around and give us their 15 to 20 second take on a story. You want to stick around for our news stories?
2: I got to go in five minutes, but if you got something in the next five, it's good. All
0: right, we're going to do this really quickly. You ready, Cassie? You ready to jump through it?
1: I'm ready. I'm ready.
0: All right, it's time for our news quick hits, which are going to be really, really quick today. Uh, Cassie, your your stories first.
1: All right. So the first one that I've got is TikTok's political influencers use backdoor to avoid detection. So there's been a report around shady influencer marketing on TikTok. The fact that we had to have a report is interesting to me because, of course, this is happening. Is there a way ever to stop folks ever from doing the shady political stuff on social media platforms and to monetize it or to advertise it? My hot take is, no, it will always happen.
2: Paul, what do you think? I absolutely agree no way to change it it's just that's the game you're playing that game deal with it
0: i agree too but i at least think you need to start and try all right next story does anybody ever win those freaking instagram giveaways i mean the kardashians give stuff away chris jenner stassi schroeder over and over they're always giving stuff away on instagram we have no idea if anybody wins it seems like it's really shady. In the real world, we have laws that say if you do a sweepstakes, you absolutely have to do something. In fact, in Italy, if you do a sweepstakes that's global, somebody in Italy has to win. I did not know that until I started doing them at a big company with legal. What do you think about these Instagram giveaways? And Is there a way to rein this stuff in, Paul? Um, bring in legal, and I think that's one of the next big business opportunities. There are some companies who
2: run contests for others now. I think you're going to see more and more of that. Absolutely. Cassie?
1: I agree with Paul. In fact, we've been doing that for a while now in New Zealand. The legal eagles have been a part of this for a long time here.
0: All right. Bring in the lawyers. Next story.
1: Hashtags never went out of style. So says LA Times article. They're back. My take? Well, Kinda. They never really went away anywhere. One of the lines of a new creator was, it's surprising how fast you can grow when you actually follow best practices. My take? No duh.
0: Paul, what do you think about hashtags?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm with Cassie here. No duh. Do it right, and you're going to see some results still.
0: Look, hashtags on TikTok, particularly is what this article was about, hashtags are basically SEO terms that tell TikTok what you're doing. It's good if you do it right. If you have too many hashtags and it's all hashtags, that can be a problem. I don't know about the emoticons. We'll see what happens with hashtag emoticons and how that develops. But you know what? Suck it up. Tell people what you're doing. Tell the algorithm what you're doing. You'll get more views. (laughs) Our last story of the day is YouTuber CJ So Cool auctioned off a third of his future earnings for $850,000. Here's what you got if you paid him $850,000. 35% of his monthly earnings, capped at $55,000 a month, 1.135 million total payout. Yeah, really interesting as we talk about creators being able to monetize their future value. A company called Spotter LA does that, where they'll buy your back catalog for a few years. I think this is a really good thing. By the way, he did sell it for $850,000. He got the cash up front. I say, go CJ. What do you think, Paul?
2: Oh, creator futures for the
0: win. <laughs> Very much. Cassie?
1: Creator Futures for the win, and I'm reminded of a country music song, which is I would like to have a problem like that, so I'm going to figure out how to do this for me.
0: Hey, Cassie, you're the one who's closer to getting it than anyone. You know, the Apprentice show that you're on, people going to be paying you big money for your future earnings, I'm sure.
1: I'm sure. <laughs> all
0: right, that's it for this uh, week's Inside the Creator Economy. Paul, thanks for joining us. What
2: a blast, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Really enjoy it. Thanks, Paul. Thanks a lot, Paul. And for all you out there. Spread the word. Tell all your friends, we are 4 p.m. Pacific on Monday, except we're doing it on Sunday. And uh, next week, I think we're going to do it on Tuesday. But, you know, we will get to a regular sort of general thing on there. Um, So tell all your friends. And um, I don't even know what we're going to talk about next week, but it's going to be fun. Hope to have some guests. And we will ease some planned guests as we get later on. So that's about it. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for
1: listening. See you all, everybody. Thank you.
0: See you all. And here comes the sad music telling you that we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week.